week six. Oh, we got a little amen over there. That was awesome. Week six, the writing on the wall. So just to give you a little bit of a recap, uh, last week we saw that King Nebuchadnezzar has finally decided to believe in God, believe in Yahweh. Not just any God, but our God. Amen? He had a dream of a beautiful tree being cut down, and Daniel basically told him that God was saying you either need to repent or you're going to lose the kingdom, and then you're going to have to be cut down for seven years, and seven years later you're going to realize who God is and you're going to get the kingdom back. Sure enough, that's what happened. He was stubborn for a year, and then he bas- God basically um, kind of made him insane, if you will. He went insane. He acted like an a ox in a field. He grew uh, nails and feathers, and uh, he disappeared for seven years. And then one day he looked up, his sanity was restored, and all he could do was praise God. Now, as we begin Daniel chapter 5, the reason why I want to talk about King Nebuchadnezzar is because you've got to understand that context in going into Daniel chapter 5 because in Daniel chapter 5, another king is in place. King Nebuchadnezzar at this point is no longer king of Babylon. He died after about a 43-year reign. Now, I'm not going to read these translations tonight, but in some translations, you're going to see it referred to as King Belshazzar, as Nebuchadnezzar, his father. But it doesn't mean necessarily his father. It means uh, a, a, someone he looked up to in the kingdom of Babylon. Because what has happened, just a really quick uh, rundown for you history buffs, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dies, and then I Nebuchadnezzar his son rules for two years, and then his brother-in-law assassinates him. Just like a family feud, right? And then another king ruled for four years, and then his son ruled for nine months. And then the conspiracy group got together. They didn't like how he was reigning, so they beat him to, beat him to death. Just like conspiracy groups, right? Then the conspirators appointed a king until he ruled, well, appointed a king who ruled until Cyrus of Persia took over. This king's name was uh, Nabonidus. We'll call him Nabo, okay? King Nabo. I like, y'all like Nabo? All right. So Nabo was ruling, and then he went off to fight a battle, and then the Persians conquered him. In the wake of his absence, he appointed someone else to run the kingdom. This, was, this person's name is Belshazzar, okay? And this is where we're at tonight in Daniel chapter 5. You need to know that for what we're going into. So in this time of Daniel chapter 5, the Persian armies are surrounding Babylon. And they were looking for a way to get in. They were looking for a way to get in the city. And while King Nabo was captured, Belshazzar is ruling. And we see this in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 5. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. That's kind of funny. We're singing new wine. Now we're talking about drinking wine. I'm going to stop right there. King Belshazzar, the the Persian army is surrounding Babylon, trying to find a way in, and this dude is pouring wine. He's sitting there propped up while the Babylon's about to get taken over, and he's partying. Belshazzar was having a feast while being surrounded by the Persians wanting the city. He was confident. He was confident in Babylon's defenses. He was confident in their supplies. He was overly confident in himself. And instead of giving attention to this impending attack, they were throwing caution to the wind and drinking it up and relaxing. 
In other words, they were pursuing pleasures to escape their reality. Ephesians 5.18, it's not up there. It says this, don't be drunk with wine. Now, we love to talk about that, right? Don't be drunk with wine. But Ephesians 5.18 tells you the why. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with Holy Spirit. How will it ruin your life? Why will it ruin your life? Because you're wasting resources that should be submitted to God's use to expand the kingdom on your need to escape your reality. King Belshazzar was wasting resources that should be submitted under God on partying instead of addressing the real issue at hand. And many of us waste resources given to us for our own personal pleasure rather than kingdom use. Nothing wrong with having fun and enjoying things. Nothing wrong with going to a, a bananas game, right? Most of the time. Nothing wrong with going and seeing, you know, a, a movie for, you know, you know $300 because it's the biggest IMAX in the world in Pula, Georgia, right? Nothing wrong with having some fun and enjoying some things. But when you don't steward correctly, you start to waste resources to fund, you start to waste resources to fund an assignment because you didn't set aside the resources for God to use how he wanted. In other words, you have not set aside your resources to say, God, what do you want to use what I have for? You budget everything for personal gain instead of giving attention to the reality that we are here to spread the kingdom of God. And a lot of people will give tithes into a church thinking that's the church's job to spread it when really the point of putting into a storehouse is for the storehouse to help equip you of how to advance the kingdom wherever you are. It's not give money so that the pastor does the job of God. That's not the point. To spread the kingdom, we all have a part to play in this. And we have got to have an awareness of Am I wasting my resources on me, or am I setting it aside for whatever God, whatever God would have me use? Matthew 25, 14 through 30, it talks about a parable. Don't put that up there yet. What are you doing, man? <laughs> Matthew 25, 14 through 30, it speaks of a parable about three servants. And basically, this is the parable. One servant got five bags of silver. One servant got two bags of silver. And another got, guess how many? One. The one with the five invested it and earned five more. That means how many does he have? See, some of y'all are good at math. Five plus five, ten. The other one who had two did the same thing. He invested two and he got two more. But the one who had the one, who had the one bag of silver, who had the, the, the talents, if you will, he buried it. Because he wanted his master to come back and say, see, I still got it. The issue with that is he wasn't using it. He wasn't investing it. So when the master returned, the ones who invested their resources and it multiplied, they got more. The master was pleased. So pleased that he gave them more to steward. Okay, you, you turned five into ten. Now let me give you a little bit more. 
Let's see what you got. And the one who buried it, the master took that and then gave it to the one who made five turn into ten. And then he said this in Matthew 25, 30. Throw this useless servant into outer darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why such a hostile comment in this parable that Jesus spoke? Because when you do nothing with what was allotted to you for the expansion of the kingdom, you are wasting your life. And there are so many of us in this room who have so much in you and God isn't seeing anything other than complaint, misery, and worry. And you wonder why nothing is happening in your life. I'm going to tell you why. It's because you are not investing what God has given you. And you complain about God not giving you more. The reason he's not giving you more because he hasn't seen you do anything with what you've got. This king is doing the same thing. He's got resources. He's got defense. He's got military. And he's throwing a party. But I think we do that a lot of times. We try to escape our reality. You know, we, we, we don't like to look at our bank accounts and see that they're going a little bit lower and decreasing. So in order to throw caution to the wind, we call it fate, and we go make a purchase that we can't afford. Because you're indulging in something instead of embracing your reality. Is that <laughs> right? Okay. You have something to invest. He, God gave you gifts to invest. Not bury, not hide, not keep to yourself. Invest. We're called to invest in the next generation. Not hide it for your benefit. And if we hide it for our benefit, according to Scripture, it's the same as a drunk wasting away their life. Because it's not necessarily about the drunkenness. It's about wasting the resources on something not needed. Right? The, the church is the most guilty of this. We, race, we waste resources with a promise that Jesus is coming back. So we don't think about the next generation because the church is filled with words like, God's going to come back in our lifetime. If you manage your life like God's coming back tomorrow, it's quite possible that you waste resources because you're not putting it away for next generation. Is this, is this, hear me out on this. The church loves every time there's a disaster, the religious church does this. Jesus is coming back. We know that already. He's returning. But the way we need to invest our time, our talent, our treasure, our skill, the love that has been deposited in us, we need to start investing in that as if, the next generation is going to rise up. And that's just not a casual thought. It's an intentional thing. I look around this room and I see so many seasoned men and women of God. How many people are you raising up? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not raising someone up in the next generation, you're wasting resource. What's re what resource? The wisdom that you have that others don't. If you don't have spiritual sons and daughters, you're wasting resource. 
Is that too much? If we're going to go to a new level, we got to push the envelope a little bit. Well, I'm just not ready for sons and daughters. Trust me, you are. You've got something in you that you can help multiply in someone else. Don't hide it for your benefit. Invest. Verse 2. When Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. That's in some translations it says his father, Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. That's like next level. He's got, he's got people and his staff. He's got multiple wives, and he's got multiple concubines. He's just all about sin, right? So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and the concubines, drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Not only was this man foolish enough to lose his self-control at this party and draw his attention away from reality, but he began to openly mock God. Why? He was using the things of God for his own benefit, and gave praise to their idols. You know what that's called? Sacrilegious. Misusing and violating sacred things. And I fear that, that, that the, the church is full of this. Making misuse of God's resources to build a man and not be man. That, that's one thing with the vision of this house. We do not want to become a church that is based off of a personality. Right? Whether I'm here or not should not be the reason you come to church. You don't come to church as a matter of fact. We are church and we assemble as an ecclesia. We assemble for you to get orders to invest into your next assignment. That's what a kingdom's all about. It's the kingdom of God. So the, the, the men and women, the priests and the kings of his kingdom come together to bring order to what they're going to invest in, right? So he was operating in a sacrilegious form, taking the things of God, the, the, the cups and the things from the temple, and using them for his own purpose. And if I may say it, if sacrilegious means misusing and violating sacred things, do you realize that that is what you're doing when you don't use what God has given you and has set you apart. It's easy to point out what we consider a violation of God's covenants. I want to take it a step further. When you are not operating in your anointing, you are violating what God has set apart. It is a sacrilegious act to tell God, I am not good enough. So I can't. Because the reason he saved you was to set you apart for a purpose that he wrote down long before mama and daddy ever said, let's make a baby. <laughs> God said, I have got something this earth needs, and it's in you. Do not violate the covenant that I made when I bought you back. We love to point out witchcraft as evil. 
Maybe we should start looking to ourselves and say, it's just as evil for me to do nothing with my treasure. I know. God is being mocked. The king is drunk, prideful. And as declared before, when things like that go on, God says, I am not going to allow it because the only thing that's going to reign is my kingdom. We don't need to let a horrible government tell us how we have to stop and can't do. Because it has been declared that his kingdom will reign. All this stuff going on in the world right now, Christians should not be moved by it because it's already been declared. His kingdom's the only one that's going to reign. What are you worried about? They may have some reign for a few years, but it will not last. So I will not be moved. We were talking about this in men's, in men's group this week. It's funny how Roe versus Wade gets overturned. And you start to see how, I'm quoting Pee Wee, I got to give him credit where credit's due. It's funny how when you listen to the radio, they've gone from taking pride in themselves to scared to death that I hope they don't vote homosexual marriage away. The enemy's scared. Because something has started. Monuments are falling. In the physical and the, and the spiritual. Chains are breaking that they didn't even know they were in chains. Authority is being shifted upside down. But we have got to do something with it. This king has all the resources at his his expense, and he decides to waste it on wine. So he's doing his thing. He's calling all these decrees. He's doing all this stupid stuff like executive orders. If you got it, awesome. If not, you'll get it one day. He starts to see something that catches his attention. Look at verse 5. Suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand. Now, just pause right there for a minute. They are sitting there drinking wine, and it's not that they saw a vision. They saw the fingers of a human hand appear and start writing. Okay? The fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself himself saw the hand as it wrote. God can and will and does communicate in ways to get your attention. And when he does, you can either pay attention or pay the consequence. This passage is where we get the proverbial phrase, do you see the writing on the wall? A phrase that usually means danger is apparent. And that's my question tonight, do you see the writing on the wall? Because I'm starting to see the writing on the wall in the church. I believe believe God is revealing things in the church because he needs his true followers to do something. And he's like, if you don't get in line with it, I'm about to do a handwriting on the wall type of thing with you. God can and will and does get involved. Proverbs 19, 21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. God will let you do whatever you want, but do you see the writing on the wall? 
He'll let you make your own decisions, but do you see the writing on the wall when you make those decisions? Sometimes the writing on the wall is not so obvious. Sometimes it's really obvious. Jonah. Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. That was his predestined purpose. When he didn't, he saw the writing on the wall in the form of Whale University. When you see your life declining, are you paying attention to the writing on the wall? Or are you living like the king, wasting away and not addressing reality? God has not made you to go backwards and decline and be nothing. You were created to multiply. You were, and that's not talking about just children. You're created to do what the parable said with the guy with the five bags of silver and the man with the two bags of silver. Let me see you multiply what you've got. Not for your glory, but for my glory. I think that's something that we miss in the parable of the talents. They did not invest it and multiply it so they could say, look at what I have. They did it so when their master returned, he was pleased. And sometimes we can get so focused on building us that we forget we're supposed to be building us for one purpose, to glorify him. That's the whole purpose. You build, you build so that you can reflect the glory of God, and your glory is what he will glory in. Is this okay? Okay. When you see your life declining... Do you see the writing on the wall? God is so good and so much better that he is relentless at making sure that you are going to see the writing on the wall because he wants to make sure that you come into agreement with what he wants to do. Paul saw the writing on the wall through blindness. And there are so many of us going through times and we don't know, we, we can't even discern, is it a trial or is it a writing on the wall? Writing on the wall doesn't have to be a trial. Some of you, the writing on the wall is so clear that, like, you're, you're thinking, well, why is God sending? God's not sending anything. He's trying to show you what you're already in. And then there is trial, and you have to steward that trial as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. I'm going through this, God, burn up whatever's not of you. We have missed our identity as people of God. Will it be hard? Will it be a struggle? Absolutely. But I believe in hard and struggle, it can be the most peaceful place in our life. And if it's not, I beg that God didn't put you through that trial. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God didn't destiny them to go in the fire. That was someone else responding to them worshiping God. But when they went in it, they, steward, they stewarded the trial as if it was God's presence. And we're all saying amen, but the moment something bad happens in our life, the first thing we think is, why God? Instead of, praise God. 
and you go trial after trial wondering why hasn't he done it? Why hasn't he done it? Why hasn't he done it? Do you see the writing on the wall? You haven't learned to praise. Do you see the writing on the wall? You're not investing for him. You're hiding for you. Why does God keep allowing me to go through the same thing over and over? Obviously, because you didn't learn the lesson the first 56 times. Why? 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 Exactly. Start asking why. Where is the writing on the wall? What is God trying to get your attention with? I can guarantee you he's trying to open your eyes to there is something in you that you are not investing What is your writing on the wall? Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. You were created to tend to and watch over all the things of God. And when you're not operating in that purpose, God starts to write on walls. Why? To get you back into alignment so that he can have his way. Because you know what the grace of God says? He says, I've created you to tend over it. I've created you to watch over it. And now I need your agreement so I can do it. Here's the goodness of God. If he doesn't get his agreement, he'll look for someone else to agree. You don't believe me? Read Judges. He gave the people a chance. They turned back to him, and then they turned away from him. And he looked for one. He found one person. Turned the nation back to God. Then they went back to worshiping Satan. And then he found one more. Here's what I want to blow your mind with. God did not plan for there to be many, many judges. His plan was that he never had to have one. And when it messed up and we see the first judge in, ju in, in the first part of Judges, he didn't think, okay, I'm going to use this for my good and create a whole book of the Bible about a bunch of failures. He didn't, that's not God. That's not, that wasn't God's plan. We have a record of how God said, I am going to prevail if I got to find one when the others failed to do it. I've said this before privately, and I'm going to say it tonight publicly. I, I did not know why God has brought me to this place until recently. I believe that we are, I know we are an apostolic church doing things that no one's done, that no one gets, and that we will be mocked for, and we're going places that other people won't get, and I'm teaching things that most people hate. I don't believe God ever, I'm going to say this from the stage, I don't believe that God ever intended for me to be that apostolic leader. But because others didn't pick up the mantle, God said, Willing servant. And he put stuff in me that you can have a conversation with my mom and ask her the Kyle when I was 15 versus the Kyle at 36. She'll tell you straight up, two different people. She was gossiping last week to some people and they came to me. <laughs> and they said, this is what your mama said. He used to be so meek and mild. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> I can tell you what happened. God said, I can use that. Amen. And that's the thing about everyone in this room. 
for some weird reason, God led you to the church located behind the pawn shop and the liquor store. <laughs> and he said, I have got something in you that no one else has been able to steward. Look around. There's people here from all sort of walks of life. There's people here who are seasoned. There's people here who y'all have been in churches at one point together, and now you're back. Why? Because I believe God has... Oh, I believe God has brought you here because what should have been stewarded, no one has done it. And it's going to happen here. And when it happens, it's going to spread like wildfire, and the church of the whole area is going to explode. And here's the beautiful thing is, we won't get credit. That's the beauty. Because we're not doing this to get credit. We're doing this to glorify the Father. Right? So, so what we do is we say, God, how do you want us to invest what we've got here and now? This should have been the anniversary service message. <laughs> Look what happens next in verse 6. His face turned pale with fright. Oh, the drunk partying king getting a little scared. His knees, that's kind of like the, the people Pee Wee's talking about on the radio. Are they going to take away our rights to, for homosexuals to marriage? One day. Can I just say that? One day? Okay. His knees knocked together in fear. His legs gave way beneath him. The king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. It's like 1995. He will, <laughs> he will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed, and his face turned pale. His nobles, too, were shaken. The king, who threw caution to the wind, was scared to death. He went from drinking and partying it and happy to terrified in a moment. And he was scared of something he couldn't even read. You can throw caution to the wind all you want, but when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to your conscience, you start to react no matter how big and bad you are. And if your reaction to the conscience of the Holy Spirit is fear, and we know that fear is not of God, the reason you're fearing is because something is out of alignment. So praise God that he's revealing what's out of alignment so you can get a spiritual chiropractic to get it back in. And we laugh, but that's exactly what God says. When we say, God, Grow me. God, show me. God, bring me. You know what we're saying? God, reveal what's not of you. And many of us are stuck because we're out of alignment. We're not operating as we should be. This church is doing amazing things, but we are not operating as we should be. It would, it would be stupid to think we're, we've, we've gotten there. We're, we're, we're nowhere near where we need to be, and that excites me based off of where we are. Like, like, transparent, for those of you that might be new, this woman right here, uh, April, Easter weekend, before that, she was in a wheelchair for 20 years. Amen. Now, 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 hear what I got to say. That happened, and we're nowhere near where we're supposed to be. Oh, that, that flipping excites me. 
I believe we're going to see miracles so stupid that the church is going to call us a cult. Just like they called the 12 disciples. I, I believe we're going to see work, acts of God so magnificent, I'm going to be accused of staging it. Matter of fact, I've already been accused of staging it. There is something in this house that we have not seen, and we will not see it unless we start to invest what we've got into expanding the kingdom of God. And if we would do that individually, imagine the corporate blessing on it. This king, he brought all these nobles and astrologers together. He's like, hey, I, I, I'm going to offer you the third highest seat in the kingdom. You know why it was third highest? That was the best he had to offer because he was second. I don't have a spiritual point on that. It's just a good fact. He's, he, is, he is taking the best he's got to get these people interpret the writing on the wall. He was offering the best he could, the highest position. If he got taken out, they would be next. No one could do anything. No one could read the writing. You know why? Because God will put a veil over the minds of those who do not give him glory. So that others will have to depend on those who operate in the anointing. You want to know why they couldn't see the, the, the you, know, you want to know why they couldn't read the writing on the wall? Because they had a veil. They couldn't. See, some historians would beg to say, well, it was written, God wrote it in Hebrew. And that they couldn't read it because they weren't Jewish. These were the wisest council in the land who just enslaved a Jewish population. Trust me, they can read Hebrew. They could not interpret it. Because God said, the only ones that's going to interpret my writing on the wall is my people. And if you don't believe me, I have scripture for it. 2 Corinthians 3, 13 through 18. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened to this day. Whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Pause right there. So if people do not believe in Christ, they cannot read the writing on the wall that we can. This is important. Because if we can see the writing on the wall, then we have to start investing into whatever God is trying to show us so that the fruit of that investment will pour over into those who cannot read. Okay. Let me say it like this. Let's talk about the political stuff in our nation without me giving a side. I'm Republican. All right. <laughs> I know. See, that's why people don't like me. L l let me just make it clear. L l let's, talk, let's talk about that section of people. Some are Christian. Some are not. Just because they agree on a side presently that represents Christ more. Let me say that clear. I, I joke around, I'm Republican. I am whoever represents God the best. If that happens to be a Democrat next election, I'll shift in a moment, okay? Because I'm, I'm not Republican, I'm not Democratic, I'm kingdom. Amen? I'm going to put that on the box. Other. 
so there are people, there are, there are Christians and not Christians who want the same thing. We're the, we are the only ones who can interpret the writing. And if we will start to interpret the writing and invest in that, it's going to pour over into so many different wells that don't even know they need the water. Some who want the water but don't know how to get the water. I, I believe that's partly what cup runneth over is all about. Yes. Let it run over in me so it will touch those who don't even know who he is. Think about the goodness of Jesus. He didn't go after church people. Well, he was going after true church. And it poured out wherever they would receive it, not even knowing they needed it. Hmm. Look at verse 15. Even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, all of us who have had that veil removed, this is key. All of us who have had the veil removed, how many of you believe in Jesus? You've got the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Now, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His image. Not just any image, His glorious image. So think about this. This is referring to when Moses came off the mountain and his face was glowing with a literal glory. And it says, those that could not even look at it, we can. And we can reflect it. Can we honestly say we're reflecting that level of glory in the church? We've seen snippets. We've seen particles of it. We've seen hints of it. But I want to get to a day where, like, we've we, we got to tear down the outside walls because 31322 cannot contain the church. That's the zip code of Pula. Like, I, 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 I want to, I, I, I see a day where we literally cannot be contained. And it's not, I'm not talking about relentless church. I'm talking about the church. But it's got to start with the ones who can see the writing on the wall. It's got to start with the ones who can say, okay, I see what's going on, God. Refine me. But when you say refine me, don't complain when he brings refiners fire. Isn't it amazing how many times we pray to God for something, and when God, when God sends it, we rebuke it? But if you've gone through that, say amen. amen. Yeah, we've all gone through it. <laughs> do you see the writing on the wall? The fact of the matter is, do you accept the idea that you can't see it and you can't get it? Or do you actually understand that you can? If you believe the ability to not see or understand has been removed, th then you're blind to your actual reality. The truth and mystery of God has been revealed to you, and you've been graced to have a veil removed. I want, let me say that even more clear. There is, God says you have access to see everything that's been a mystery. 
Everything. You can see it now. Now, there's a lot of churches who preach differently. Well, we'll see the mystery of God when we enter into heaven. No. He wants us to understand we can see the mystery so that we can access heaven now. I truthfully, this is where I'm really starting to shift in my faith. I pray that when one day when the Lord takes me to heaven, when I walk in, I can say, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. Let that settle for a second. I want to walk into the courts of my father and praise him and say, oh, I've seen that room. I've been there. I was about 36 years old. Right? We have got to shift our reality a little bit. The veil has been removed. We have access to the most holy place of God. We're no longer separated out of court, holy of holies, holiest of holies. Holy, most holy, and you get it. We have access to enter in at any time. We've got to get this vocabulary out of, I've had a bad week, I've got to get to church. No, you are the church and you can enter in right there. And this should be the agreement of where you've already entered. When we gather together, it should be agreement of everyone has already entered. The truth and mystery has been revealed. So the real question, well, how come I'm not seeing it, Kyle? Look at Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and All these things will be added to you. You will find him when you search with all. Seek first, it will be added. If you can't see, it's not because you can't see. Why? The veil's been removed. If you can't see, I would say check your motives of your heart in all areas. I'm not saying you got to get it right. I'm saying check your motive and posture the motive. It's not let me get a clean slate of sin for about three weeks so I can enter into the presence. It's God reveal where I have improper motives so I can surrender it right now. And my actions will follow suit. Not let me get my actions right. It's let me surrender my heart. Let me surrender my mind. Because maybe your heart and your mind have to come, maybe your heart and your mind have come into agreement with Baal thinking. Baal thinking. Dead people can't get out of gravestones. We can see that glory. See, some of y'all look at me like like I'm crazy. That's okay. I'm used to it. But the veil has been removed. They will get out of the grave. The veil has been removed. Your disease is not meant for you. If I, this is going to make some of you mad. So 
please don't email me or text me or call me about it. Just pray about it and submit your motive. But you know what I get so tired of sometimes? People saying, God, remove this disease, but if it's not your will to remove it, then, then. No, it's always his will. Stop coming into agreement with veil thinking. You know what that is? You, you, you just gave an out clause because your faith is diminished. Just in case you don't want me to be whole, God. He always wants you whole. Well, the Bible says there's a time for this and a time for death. Yes, there is a time for death, but many are taken outside of time. Oh, let's talk about that for a second. Many are taken outside of time. So let's get them back in time so God can take them when he sees fit. When will God take them? When they've invested and accomplished the assignment. Why do we say yes to death? Because we get 99. You just told God how old you can be before you go away. Is, it, is this too much? Bail thinking. We got to have this famous preacher come in so that we can have revival. <laughs> Bail thinking. If you define an area of your life separate from God and it doesn't matter, then you've come into agreement with a veil that has been removed and you wonder why you can't see because God wants it all, not some. Don't separate parts of your life like God doesn't need it or God can't use it or I don't have to get it so God can do. I, I know I mention it often. I'm going to mention it again tonight because it's like the, the most talked about subject in the Bible. But think about this. Why does God want to tithe? Now, I'm not talking about just your money. I'm talking about a set-aside portion. That's what tithe means, set aside. Why does God want it set aside? So he has your permission to mess with your whole. And if you don't think your tithe has anything to do with your increase, you accepted a veil mentality that he freed you from. The, the, the most mispreached scripture is in Malachi about the tithe. S sow the seed into the ground, right? Right? The, the tithe. Right? And many of us are saying, okay, well, I tithe, nothing's happening. I can tell you why. That word tithe actually means, when it says to rebuke the devourer, the word devourer actually means seed eater. So I want you to imagine that this rag is, I have not given my tithe. Is it, can I talk about this? I want you to imagine that I have not given my tithe. And, one, and I, I'm embracing just only the New Testament side of giving where I give when I feel led. Right? Y'all know that part of New Testament? Give as you're so led to do. It's not said that way, but just research it. So I'm, I'm, I'm walking around. I go to church. I go to this place, and I feel like, man, I really want to bless that homeless person. And you haven't tithed, right? So you'll take your offering of the, of the meal and sow the offering. If you have not rebuked the devourer or the seed eater with your tithe, 
that seed you just sowed cannot get into the ground. You gave an offering, but it can't get in the soil because you haven't rebuked the one to eat the seed when you put it on the soil. That's why he says give tithes and offerings. You give a tithe to rebuke a cursed ground so that whatever offering financially or time or service will be blessed because it gets in the soil and it can grow. I serve God all year and nothing's happening because you haven't rebuked the one that's devouring your offering. And they'll thinking, well, I've been, I've been freed from that. No, you haven't. You've been, you, you have been freed from death because of it. Well, it's law. We're free from the law. No, law's been fulfilled. Is this too? Okay. Do you see that writing on the wall in your life? Tithe. Why does God want sexual morality? Se- Let me make sure I- sexual morality. Why does God want that? So that your marriage won't have to go through the hiccups stemming from broken relationships and soul ties that you were never meant to enter into. It's not just be good. He gives us law and boundaries so that we can operate as whole. What is veil thinking? People who think, I, I, I choose what I want. I do what I want to do. I can have as many partners as I want. It's veil thinking because you don't understand that his way is better than yours and it's not just in your behavior. Do you see that writing on the wall? Like anyone in here, who's going, if you're going through relationship issues, have you ever broken soul ties with people you've slept with that wasn't your husband or wife? Because you could be dealing with stuff from them and your husband or your wife is fighting with stuff from an old partner and they don't even know where it's coming from. Or you're holding them in contempt for something they didn't, they didn't do because of a soul tie to a past thing. Do you see the writing on the wall? It's, it's really simple. You go home and you say, Lord, I take back what's mine. I give back what's there. I sever that tie. Why? You don't need an altar call. You've got the authority. The altar's at your house. Is good tonight? Is, okay, helping? All right, verse 10. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king, your, your, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems, call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Now, an interesting point in this, the queen didn't call Daniel Belteshazzar. She ref- this is the first time in the book of Daniel that someone in Babylon calls him Daniel. Because she remembered King Nebuchadnezzar saying that he wrongly named him based off of his gods in chapter 4. She was honoring Daniel's faith. 
Why? Because his were the only ones working. You've been given two names. One by God and one by the world. How they regard you is directly connected to how you reflect the glory of God. And when they see you and how you operate, they regard you as the one that God named or they regard you as the name they're giving you. Like if I see, you know, John Smith, he's John Smith or he's John Smith. He's, he's or let me say a different way, he's John Smith or he's God's son. Well, Jesus is God's son. Well, we're all sons and daughters. Right? So when you have this person, they will either see John or they will see God. And that's not based off of them, it's based off of you. Because they call you what you reflect. What they call you or how they regard you is connected to you embracing that you are no longer blind to what God wants of you and you want to steward all things unto the Lord. Every reaction, every decision, I steward everything I've got for the glory of God. Everything. Your purpose for the glory of God. Well, Kyle, I don't know my purpose. You don't have to know your purpose now. But do you steward everything you've got for his glory? Because it's only by that way that you will find your purpose. I didn't know I was called to be a pastor until I started stewarding my gift of music for the glory of God. And many of you don't know your purpose, and you're saying, God, show me my purpose. God, show me my purpose. Do you see the writing on the wall that is directly connected to where you're not serving, to where you're not investing? And I'm not talking about serving, like, this is not a message to get you to serve on teams at Relentless. I'm talking about serving God. I'm talking about serving him wherever you are, in your workplace, in your family, in your friendships, in your relationships. If you start stewarding all things for him, your purpose will be revealed. David spent years learning the harp and picking up sheep droppings, living in cold and hot nights. And you know what that got him? Someone came one day, a prophet, and said, you're going to be the next king. And you know what happened after he found out he was going to be a king? He went back to shoveling sheep poop. You see, it's not God showed me. Is God, I will show you off to the world. Hmm. Everything you do means something. There is nothing insignificant about you. Men's group, we talked about insignificant things. There is nothing insignificant about you. Nothing. You're not insignificant. And if anyone has ever called you insignificant, I just, matter of fact, I've never done this. Has, is, is there anyone in this room 
who has been called insignificant in one way or, or the other, that you're a waste of time. Yeah, raise your hand. Keep it raised. All right, right in the name of Jesus, I break off that name of insignificance, and I speak life, and I call out that you are significant in the kingdom of God, and any thought that you are not good enough right now is broken in the name of Jesus, and, and you will start to steward your significant gifts and abilities for the glory of God, and he will show you your best day. Amen? Amen? Sometimes the writing on the wall is simply this. Are you obsessed with reflecting his glory? Verse 13. Daniel was brought in before the king. The king asked him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you're filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they cannot do it. I am told that you give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. You will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Isn't it funny? Everything seems great, but the party stops as soon as the, people, the party's going. People of God are, mar are mocked, but as soon as they find out that their stuff ain't working, when God starts to write on the wall, people start to sober up real quick. I, that is going to happen. There's going to be decrease, 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 and they can't read the writing because they don't have the veil removed, and they're going to see one day we need these crazy Christians who we don't believe a thing that they believe. John 15, 19 says it like this, the world will love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer the power of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Let me say this, it is unnatural for the children of God to be loved by the world. That is why we are to embrace mocking because it's a sign that we're being identified correctly. I used to get so mad when people called me this and this and that. Now I realize confirmation. And unfortunately, some of the world is in the church. And I love what Daniel says in response to this. Verse 17, Daniel answered the king, you can keep your gifts or give them to someone else. I'll tell you what the writing means. If you remember, it troubled him that Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by the dream and the vision. But he wasn't really impressed with Belshazzar. So he says, I don't need anything from you. But here's what I want to pull out of this. Even though he didn't have much respect or regard for Belshazzar, he did recognize a moment. And we're about to see him interpret the writing on the wall in order to reflect the glory of God to this king. I wrote this down. Don't let your disdain for someone cause you to miss a moment for glory. Well, I just don't like them. But if it's a moment for glory, take every opportunity to reflect the glory. I can't stand... Take, do not miss a moment. I didn't go say to try to find a moment. Don't miss a moment. That king called him in. And he didn't say, I ain't got time for you. I don't want your stuff. He, he said, I don't want your stuff, but I will, I will give you what you need. 
Verse 18, your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that people of all races and nations and language trembled before him in fear. He killed those that wanted to kill and, and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor. He disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal. He lived a, a, among wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the most high God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, Robel Belshazzar, and you knew all of this. Yet you've not humbled yourself. You've proudly defiled the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines, you've been drinking wine from them, praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, gods that neither nor hear nor know anything at all. I love Daniel. But you haven't honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. Daniel was straightforward. Dude, you should have known better. You are responsible to honor God according to the revelation you got. Belshazzar didn't believe in God, but he knew the story of King Nebuchadnezzar very well. He knew exactly what he was doing. Romans 1 even tells us that all are held accountable because of the Lord reveals himself in creation itself. So here's the thing. Don't live in a veil when the writing is on the wall. Belshazzar, even though he didn't believe, he still held accountable to who? The one who controls his destiny. Wait, are, I thought we believed in free will in this church. You're telling me that God controls our destiny? Yeah, we do believe in free will. You bet. And God is going to write some things on the wall so that you can freely submit to the destiny that you were created for instead of pursuing one that was never written in your book. Do you have the free will to live out a destiny that God never designed? Absolutely. But he's going to write on the wall and write on the wall and write on the wall and, and do whatever he can to get your attention. And at some point, we have to submit to it because he says, I'm going to have my way. He loves you too much to just let you go. That's why in the parable of the, the, uh, the, the fig tree, give him, give, vine dresser, give him one more year. What do you think the, the soil and the fertilizer is? It's grace. It's writing on the wall. It's wake up, O sleeper. Verse 24, so God sent his hand to write this message. This is the message that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is what the words mean. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Daniel said, because you've not honored God, you've deliberately mocked him. Number one, he says, the Lord tells you, your days of your reign are numbered. In other words, your reign's done. Number two, you've been weighed in the balance and you haven't measured up. In other words, your empire, the Babylonian empire, has great armies and tactics, but you still crumble. And it's because when you were weighed in the weight of your glory, you were found way too light with your spiritual and moral value, so God judged you for it. So it's not going to stand. 
talk about being weighed in the balance. When God weighs this house, I, I, I want us to be just ridiculously fat on the glory scale. Because I do believe there will come a day when God weighs the church in the balance and those that are not found hefty, their days will be numbered. Is that okay to... And then he says you're divided. It was given and divided to other nations not conquered. Given. Given. The only way the person and the means could have conquered was God allowed it. You see, here's what's interesting. Greek historians say that the king of Cyrus of, or King Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon by doing one thing. They diverted the flow of the Euphrates River to a swamp so that the troops can march under the river gates to get in Babylon. Remember, I started the whole message out. They're trying to find ways to get in Babylon. But that would have only worked in one way. Remember, made sure that the river flowed another way so they could march under the gates. But they could have only gotten the city in one way. The inner walls of the city had to be unlocked. Say, show me something cool. Isaiah 45. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. What happened to this king, Belshazzar? Fear. Their fortress gates will be open, never shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you treasures hidden in darkness, secret riches. I will do this so, that, so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. Y'all, it was prophesied that Cyrus would do it. Do you realize what he, the only way they could have gotten into the city was if the gates were unlocked? the gates of bronze that surrounded the city. God, God prophesied, I, uh, Isaiah prophesied on behalf of God, I am going to have my way and I'm going to make sure it's open for them to take over. I will give it to them because your days are numbered because I've weighed you in the balance. God will have his way. So you better be paying attention to every, that every part of your life is positioned for glory. You better be paying attention to the writing on the walls. Last few verses, at Belshazzar, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. You see, at that moment, the king knew that Daniel was right. But here's where he got it wrong. He did something instead of bowed. He, he got in, let me, let me get every effort I can to get myself right again. That's what religion does. When we, when we notice that something is out of alignment, we've learned to what, this is the first question most church people ask, what do I need to do? It's not about your doing, it's about the position of your heart. How about praise? How about worship? How about bow? How about yes, Lord? I, I'm all about counseling, I'm all about walking people through stuff, but can I just be honest, sometimes I think it'd be really easy if you just said yes, 
He just wants your yes. He doesn't need to, he, he, he can fix everything in one moment. Yes, Lord. Now here's what's interesting. He put the purple robes on Daniel. He gave him the chain. He gave him the third highest position. And about four hours later, look what happens in verse 30. This is how I know it was hours later. It says, that very night, Belshazzar the Babylonian king was killed. Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. In other words, Daniel reigned as king. Something people won't tell you for about four hours. Not the overall king, but number two. Because he, or, or I'm, sorry, he, I'm sorry, he reigned as number three, number three king, if you will. And as soon as he died, Daniel didn't take it, someone else took it. Why do we need to know that? The rewards of the world are temporary. And I thank God that Daniel did not get obsessed with, look, I've gone from a Jewish slave to I'm number three. Daniel knew that wasn't going to last. And we get so overcome and overwhelmed with trying to get these rewards that simply are not lasting. Will rewards come? Yeah. Will promotion come? Yeah. But if that's your driving force, I beg to say that you have a veil over you. Let me say that in a different way. If that's your driving force, you've come into agreement with a veil that's not there. The things of the world will pass away, but the things of God are eternal. Don't perish because you're not recognizing the writing on the wall. He wants to do great things through you, but your glory must be a reflection of His so that your glory is His glory. Does God want us to prosper? Yes. But it's for His glory. Glory is not let me become nothing so that God gets all credit. It's let me multiply in all areas so that I give Him glory in the multiplication. The other is poverty mentality. We talked about last week, what is poverty mentality? It's not being poor. It's simply one thing, not producing. Every single one of you are called to produce something. Some of you have jobs that you hate being in right now. You want to know how to gain more in your career? Look at your job and realize, I need to invest for the glory of God into every coworker, every employee, every boss. And if you can't do that, don't expect that God's going to give you more silver when you've tried to hide yours. It's, the, it's, the, it's like that in every single area of our life. God, what can I do to glorify you? If we can learn to become a people that see clearly that God wants us to walk in the agreement with him who is the king of the kings and the Lord of lords for his reign, we're going to see stupid stuff happen in this city. We're going to see amazing miracles in our lives. But it's got to start from one place, the writing on the wall. God, show me where I'm not in alignment. Show me where I can invest more into your kingdom. Show me. I'm going to leave you with this tonight. You are significant. There are things in you that no one else had that God put in you to invest in his kingdom expansion. It's time to wake up. 
No more of this, I can't pray out loud. There is something in your voice that heaven needs to hear. I don't need you to get mature in your release. You know what maturity is? I'm going to speak it and sound like a foolish child. Because quite frankly, some of these foolish kids that pray, pray better than some of our wise adults. You want to know why? Because their faith is pure. We don't need to try to get all this church, you know, language right. And, you know, this, this whole, I, I want to become like a theological scholar. You know what the best theological scholar is? Throw away theology. Most of it's messed up anyways. You know what the best theology is? Glory to God. You know what the best theology? Father's hearts of the Father turn to the sons. The hearts of the sons turn back to the Father. Get obsessed with that. And we don't have to see no writing on the wall. Get obsessed with God. Have your way in every area of my life. Not so that you can get right. You've already been made right. It's so that he can say, well done. Now here's your next assignment. You were created for a purpose. Start walking in it. Amen. Let's stand. Let's give God some praise tonight. Come on.